BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Welcome to this Building a Library podcast from BBC Radio 3. I'm Andrew McGregor, presenter of Record Review, and this time we're exploring Dvorak's Wind Serenade, Opus 44, which takes its inspiration from Mozart's great Wind Serenade and then brings to the table Dvorak's love of his native folk music, his gift for memorable melodies and those typical Dvorak qualities of sunshine and nostalgia. There's a wide range of recordings to compare, as our wind expert Sarah Devonald has been finding out, from robust and rustic to elegant and refined. And there are all kinds of questions to ponder, such as what speed Dvorak means when he writes at the head of the first movement, like a march. Belgian clarinetist and conductor Walter Boykens and his ensemble recorded in the early 1990s. That was a time when he was going through the entire sort of wind and string mixed repertoire with his group. It's pretty stately and it's not quite the sort of pace that I think Vorjak would have wanted for that a la marche, like a march that starts his serenade. So let's try something else, perhaps a little bit quicker. That's definitely too fast, though. That was the London Symphony Orchestra and Hungarian conductor Isvan Kertesz in 1967. Kertesz is known for his sort of refreshing approaches to speeds and often it works really well, but I think this march needs a little bit more gravitas. So how about this one? It combines that sort of upbeat optimism that we just heard from Kertesz, but there's also a tinge of the darker side of Dvorak in his D minor choice of key. And this is where the march theme comes for the second time. It's a little bit quieter than the first time and then it builds up again. That's a really nice perky tempo from the Prague Philharmonia and conductor Jakob Prusa. But there's also a soft edge to it, which I really quite like. That's a Czech ensemble, and I might expect something a little bit more reedy from them, but this is very much a 21st century Czech ensemble, I think. There are older recordings by Czech groups, but they're all languishing on vinyl, unfortunately. Recordings like the Prague Orchestra of Soloists with Václav Talich, and also the Prague Chamber Harmony, conducted by Martin Tarnowski. We can't get hold of those on digital transfer at the moment, unfortunately. 
But there is one Czech version from about 50 years ago that you can get hold of if you send off to the Czech Republic. This is by the Czech Philharmonic Chamber Ensemble, directing themselves. You'd normally expect to hear the oboes playing with vibrato and the bassoons perhaps, and if it was an Eastern European horn, maybe. But everybody uses vibrato in this performance, including the clarinets, which gives it quite a characteristic sound, a really sort of zingy, crisp energy, I think. the Czech Philharmonic Chamber Ensemble, directing themselves. There's a slightly mechanical feel, I think, to that sound, but there's plenty of character, as I said, as well, with the Czech clarinetists being just as reedy and expressive as the oboes are, which is quite refreshing, but the whole thing giving quite a full-bodied sound altogether. This serenade was written at a time before Dvorak had published any symphonies. He'd written a few, but they just hadn't been published yet. And it was a real turning point in his life. He was in his mid-30s. He'd recently written the Serenade for Strings that had been successful. And he was dipping again into his Czech roots for this serenade. And I feel that he wasn't being constrained by the thoughts of, I have to write a, a symphony along the lines of Beethoven or, or Brahms. I can really do this in my own way. I can take... Czech folk tunes and I can then couch them in this sophisticated sort of mid-19th century language that he was learning to apply to his own natural expression. This was in 1878 and it means that in this serenade he's got this huge range of mood from optimistic and sunny to nostalgic and wistful but it doesn't really get a lot darker than that there's still an amazingly sort of upbeat feel to the whole thing. So back to this first movement, we just heard how Dvorak has this dotted march theme that he starts with, dum, bum, ba-dum, and then he turns it into a falling scale. And then you get a lovely oboe cadenza. So let's hear a really select group of players from the London Philharmonic Orchestra under Christopher Hogwood. It's a really expressive sound. You've got a little bit of that older style, slightly thinner, more plangent oboe from about 30 years ago. 
but everything is really careful and delicate and well-planned and it builds excitedly too when it needs to. And that's conducted by period performance expert Christopher Hogwood, who is moving away from the Brock, I guess, a little bit in 1986 and directing members of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. And the solo oboe that I was talking about there, that little break that it had, I mean, the lead part, the solo oboe part is clearly important. Often the oboist will direct the whole performance. And this next oboist, Albrecht Meyer, he really makes his presence felt in that little oboe solo break. long high held oboe g is probably the longest i've ever heard i mean you meant to pause for a little fraction of a second on it but he really pulls it out that was albrecht meyer with clarinetist sabina meyer and her ensemble and interestingly in this recording by her group of the dvorak the balance really favours the oboe over the clarinet, where they should be much more equal i feel and maybe it was just her feeling that she didn't want to dominate as she was the leader So let's pick up from those little staccato, bassoon, vamped already notes that we heard just now. And this is the build-up that leads towards the return of the march theme. And here's another group, again, without a conductor. They're called the Linos Ensemble. And at that return point, when the march comes back, they're careful to come back from fortissimo, really loud, to the original forte, just strong, of the opening. I love the way those oboe and clarinet trills are beautifully terraced in dynamic. You get the oboe gradually getting quieter and then the clarinet starts from exactly the same dynamic level and diminuendos down even more. Really works well. That was the Linus Ensemble recorded in 1996. Thinking about the 12 instruments involved in this serenade, Dvorak took his cue from Mozart's octet serenades and definitely was influenced by the Grand Partita for 13 instruments. 
Dvorak had actually heard it played in Vienna just two weeks before he wrote his own serenade. So Dvorak took the pairs of oboes, clarinets and bassoons that Mozart had used. He added three horns, which is quite unusual not to be in pairs, and a double bass. And then he added a cello as well. It often has quite scrubby sort of semi-quavers chugging away in the background as though it's a member of a village band. But just occasionally you get a little mini soaring tune coming through. And in the first and last movements, he had an extra luxury, which was the contrabassoon. This is a recording where those gruff lower parts really come through. It's an all-star cast from 1951, and it includes Terence McDonough on oboe and Dennis Brain on first horn, and James O'Clochlin on contrabassoon. rather anachronistically named London Baroque Ensemble under their director, Carl Haas, recorded in Abbey Road Studios back in 1951. Really neat playing, I think, in a dry acoustic. And it's an interesting period piece, but the antique sound and some of the blemishes in tuning and there's a little bit of distortion in the recording in the last movement, it means it's not on my shortlist. Here's some really rather lovely playing as the first movement begins to wind down and as it winds down it loses its martial characteristics and listen to the horns and the cello really having their moments here. Neville Mariner and his Academy of St Martin in the Fields in the early 1980s. He really paces this recording well, I think. Great control and beautiful instrumental sound as well. Here's an interesting one I hadn't heard before. It's flute player Marcel Moyes, and he's conducting a live performance of the Serenade at the Marlborough Festival in the USA in 1957. 
And he brings a real intensity to the clarinet and oboe sound, which I like, and a lovely lilt to the start of the second movement, which is a minuet. characterful and for me really recognisable American sound of oboe playing there, quite fast vibrato and a sort of hollowness to the sound. And the clarinetists are using a bit of vibrato too. That was an interesting historic performance from flautist Marcel Moyes directing the Marlborough Festival Wind Ensemble in 1957. It's really characterful and carefully designed, but you can't really ignore the noises off from the live performance and odd glitches in the recording as well but great choices of speed and real moments of excitement in that. It's worth hearing. There's a bit more of a swing in this version of the minuet. This is the Chamber Orchestra of Europe, directed by violinist Alexander Schneider, and really expressive playing from first oboe Douglas Boyd, which is matched by the clarinetist Richard Hosford and then supported by the rippling cello of Christopher Marx. young players of the Chamber Orchestra of Europe directed by Alexander Schneider back in 1984 and there's a similar synchronicity from a more recent recording by the Swedish Serenade Ensemble who I hadn't heard of before they don't have a conductor but it's a really crafted performance like the Chamber Orchestra of Europe let's hear how that falling semi-quaver pattern that we keep hearing starts piling up until there's a sort of cascade down from the oboe to the clarinet to the bassoons and finally to the cello and the bass and then you get gurgling triplets in the clarinets and bassoons supporting the oboe tune it's all beautifully balanced here
So we've just left the minuet for a central trio section, just the sort of thing that Haydn and Mozart would have done. But this one's marked presto really fast, and it's technically pretty tricky. It's a take on a Czech folk dance, the Furiant in fast three time. And there's no indication whether the two clarinets should speed up into the new tempo. And the Swedish serenade ensemble that we just heard, they didn't. Whereas in this next one, the clarinets under Raphael Kubelik and the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra, they do get a little bit faster into the trio section. But then Kubelik does some really odd things with the speeds once he's into that presto section. I'm not really very happy with that, I'm afraid. Those odd hold-ups at the end of each phrase, I don't think that's what Dvorak intended. I'm a great admirer of Kubelik, and he is Czech, so maybe he's right about those funny hold-ups. I don't know, maybe it's authentic. I'm not so sure. There's no such messing around with the Linos Ensemble. They are one of the few groups to make a real accelerando into the trio. And once they're there, have a listen to the way the singing melodies from horn and cello get interwoven underneath the busy oboe and clarinet. The Linos Ensemble bring out the strengths of every instrument and also the skill of Dvorak's writing. You can hear what everybody's doing, but it all meshes together and makes perfect sense. Linos Ensemble. It's a good presto, I think. Some people take the presto just perhaps a little bit too fast. But again, this is a Czech conductor in charge, so perhaps he's right. (laughs) 
And that's really accomplished playing, but a little bit uncomfortable for me as a wind player from the Prague Philharmonia and Jakob Ruscha. In the need for speed, all the other subtleties are sort of out of the window. Christopher Hogwood and the London Philharmonic Orchestra are nearly as nippy, but they're a bit more agile and colourful as well. really nice transition out of the fast trio section back to a brisk version of the minuet and it's playing that's full of character there's the occasional touch of questionable intonation and some little squawks from i won't say who in the london philharmonic under christopher hogwood but lovely performance moving on to the third movement of dvorak's wind serenade now the movement probably owes the most to mozart if you think about the slow movement of mozart's grand partita for 13 instruments starts with a sort of chugging, syncopated accompaniment in the lower parts and then a soaring oboe melody. And Dvorak has translated that idea into his own language here. He's again using a syncopated accompaniment and then he brings in the clarinet first with a beautiful melody and then that's echoed by the oboe. So who should we have to play it? Well, how about a bunch of players who are all top soloists They got together for a festival about 10 years ago in a German power station. And not surprisingly, there was a big acoustic and they all produce a a beautiful warm sound. But I get the feeling that they're all rather sort of vying for attention with their solos rather than wanting to slot together as a group. recording made live at the Spanningen Chamber Music Festival in 2008 
I'd describe that phrasing from the oboe and clarinet a little bit squeezy. It's a warm sound, but really self-conscious playing for me, playing up beauty for its own sake. There's no name for this ensemble, but there are plenty of big individual names like oboist François Leleu, there's clarinetist Sharon Cam and horn player Marie-Louise Neunecker. This performance we're going to hear now is more of a team effort, I think. There's a lovely blend of the slow-moving bass parts and the syncopated three-part horns with the singing solo lines, even if there's the occasional wrong note. And there's one unusual characteristic about this that I haven't heard with any other performance. The oboe and the clarinet take the dotted rhythm in the melody, da, 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 and they make it a double-dotted rhythm, da, da, da. I really don't know why they do it. the Chamber Orchestra of Europe under Alexander Schneider. Now, this is the point in the slow movement when things start getting a little bit more unsettled. Some performances bring this out more than others. Listen to the way a sense of foreboding gradually takes over with Mariner and the Academy of St Martin in the Fields. The obas are really pushing at the tempo and the horns and bass parts seem to be sort of hanging back and this creates a really exciting tension. the Academy of St Martin in the Fields and Neville Mariner. And that wailing oboe is a real inspiration, I think. It's another way that Dvorak's moving the classical model of the serenade into the romantic world. Here's something a little bit slower. It's the Linos Ensemble. They're more grand and sort of inexorable about their progress in this section. And the oboe's crying rather than wailing. And you can hear it 
clearly through the texture of slow basses of the repeated horn notes and the falling clarinets and that gives a really otherworldly sort of feel. There's a huge range of mood in that extract, I think. Great ebb and flow from the Linus Ensemble. Now, how do the Swedish Serenade Ensemble deal with the fallout after that dramatic outburst? the Swedish serenade ensemble a bit too efficient and brisk somehow and they were also let down a little bit by their editor or producer because there was a an edit in that which meant that you actually lost some of the beat at one point. Christopher Hogwood on the other hand he takes a very relaxed approach towards the end of this movement and the cello solo is absolutely gorgeous.
the London Philharmonic and Christopher Hogwood. The Linos Ensemble are also laid back, but at the same time they bring in quite clever touches of forward momentum to keep things alive. And they're very good at pointing up Dvorak's different combinations of instruments in the sighing gestures that finish the movement. The contrast between the bittersweet oboes and clarinets in that combination compared with the much more intense and rich-sounding horns and clarinets. the end of the third movement of Dvorak's Wind Serenade. That was the Linos Ensemble. So the finale starts. It's energetic, it's concerted, it's marked allegro molto, very fast, and it soon breaks down into factions, oboes versus cello and the bass, and then various conversations between the different instruments. the Chamber Orchestra of Europe with Alexander Schneider conducting. I really appreciate the way that all of the players on that recording are using the same sort of crisp articulation. It's very difficult to get a reed instrument to sound the same at the start of its note as a brass instrument and a string player, but there's this lovely nifty tonguing from the reeds and then crisp articulation to match from everybody else, which works incredibly well, I think. There's been a lot of thought, preparation, rehearsal time that's gone into this performance and it really pays off. Now, 
this is the most crazy tempo I've ever heard for this movement. And added to it, we've got a sort of Benny Goodman style hooty clarinet. I would definitely give a prize to the cello for just about keeping up in the semiquavers. The German group Consortium Classicum, that's another group of soloists who came together occasionally to record just about all the wind music they could. Sounds as if they're running out of time in that recording from 1992. Neville Mariner makes things much more manageable for the poor cellist. It's slower in his version, but there's still a really exciting build-up that follows the true pianissimo, very quiet, that Dvorak asks for. the Academy of St Martin in the Fields and Neville Mariner. And we just heard another one of Dvorak's little surprises. Exactly as he does in his string serenade, in the finale, he returns to previous movements. He takes little bits of material and slots them in. And the mood is constantly changing in this movement. Here's the LPO and Christopher Hogwood. theme of the first movement right at the end of the finale. Beautiful playing and sense of cohesion, just things making sense from Hogwood and the London Philharmonic Orchestra. But Dvorak's not going to end with that march. We're going to go back again 
to the spirited dance that's the main theme of the finale. So who should we have to play us out? Neville Mariner's version with the Academy of St Martin in the Fields is intelligent, it's sparky, and it's got a huge range of dramatic mood. The Chamber Orchestra of Europe is idiosyncratic, carefully shaped, lovely playing altogether. Christopher Hogwood, well, he encourages expansive, warm playing for the members of the London Philharmonic with some truly exciting moments. But the self-guided Linus Ensemble just have the edge for me. I really like the attractive, grainy sound they've got to their recording. There's a chamber acoustic and a chamber approach to their playing. It's a performance not without blemishes, but it's heartfelt and there's an authentic feel to it with great attention to detail in balance and dynamic. And they really make the most of this serenade's fluctuating moods. But there's also a sense of continuity and flow to it and energy too. You can hear everything clearly, even the cello and bass really come through at the end before the last brassy flourish. The end of Dvorak's Opus 44 Wind Serenade in D minor and the heartfelt, authentic feel of the Linos Ensemble that reviewer Sarah Devenald found so attractive, which is why their recording is her overall Building a Library recommendation. You'll find the Linos Ensemble's Dvorak on the Capriccio label and details of the recording and Sarah's other favourites are on the Record Review website. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Building a Library. Next time, Building a Library explores Haydn's E-flat major piano sonata, his last, one of the longest, and many think his greatest. Pianist Ian Burnside has been comparing a large heap of Haydn recordings for us, and we'll find out what he thinks of them all. You can listen live if you join me, Andrew McGregor, for Record Review, Saturday mornings from 9 on BBC Radio 3, on FM, online, and on the BBC Sounds app. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can discover much more music, radio and podcasts on BBC Sounds. This is a download from the BBC. For more information and for terms of use, go to bbc.co.uk slash radio3.